0: Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I have the absolute pleasure to introduce you, if you don't already know her, you will know her by the end of the podcast, an author that I hunted down from Powell's Books, another one of my finds. Um, her name is Lisa Reddick. So Lisa, would you like to say hello to the listeners?
1: Hi, listeners. I'm really happy to be here today and excited to talk to Vicki about my book. And I'm so glad she found it at Powell's.
0: Oh, well, me too. I, I had one of those uh, weekends where we stopped at Pals. So I live, I live North of Powell's. I'm, I'm in the Vancouver area and I told my husband, I need to go to Pals. need to find some authors for the podcast. And so They have this one Northwest shelf that I go to often and I'm sitting there uh-huh. looking through the books. So when I found yours, I'm like, definitely going to get in touch with Lisa. I think that's that she'll great. Be a great fit yeah. for the book. Nice, so, So, Lisa, I start out by um, asking some general questions so you can be introduced to listeners. So first, what state in the Pacific Northwest do you live in?
1: I live in the state of Washington in a sweet town north of Seattle called Edmonds.
0: Edmonds, no way. Well. Yeah, we're yes. right on the
1: water. We have beautiful views of the Olympic Mountains mm-hmm. and the really sweet little town. So. It
0: is. It's one of my dream towns, actually.
1: <laughs> it really, oh, that's sweet. Yeah, yeah it's a, I've been here for over 30 years. and right
0: Oh, so you, you're what we'll call it a yeah native in that sense. Yes. <laughs> that
1: <laughs> Pretty much. You're
0: in a, hopefully, in a house that you could probably sell for three times the amount you oh, bought it for yes, these days.
1: (laughs) absolutely happening around here
0: and you wouldn't be able to move in that area after you sold so (laughs) exactly
1: yeah yeah no I'm very grateful and grateful to live here it's a wonderful community of people and yeah
0: yeah I agree and I love Edmonds a lot too, in the sense that I love the views, the water and the mountain ranges. The most beautiful thing about the Pacific Northwest, particularly in Washington, because that's where I'm from too, is we have a lot of water. Granted, we have plenty of rain, but we have a lot of water and beautiful mountains. And there's yeah. just nothing better than that, I'll tell you. Yeah, I mean,
1: It's been an interesting winter, but.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yes, cold and snowy. So yes, cold people, we snowy. get snow.
1: We <laughs> did, oh my goodness. Yes. Oh, a
0: lot of it too for us. Yeah. On a, yeah. And that's kind of right up your, Allie so we're going to dig a little bit about your background because I'm very curious about your background but we'll get there so don't worry um uh so so tell us a little bit well first my first question is that I like to ask authors is for new listeners what's one thing you would like to share with them it doesn't have to be anything literary it can be personal you know about you that you'd like them to know before they even pick up your book like if you could tell every reader this is something about me you need to know or you should know
1: Well, I think what um, I'd like them to know is that uh, my first novel, The Same River, is based on my life story growing up on the North Umpqua River in Central Oregon. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a very personal story. It's also a story of redemption and hope and wisdom and wildness and all of those things. And that doesn't come just from the outside of me. It comes from within my life. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that I... What I offer readers is authentic, um, hopefully thoughtful and inspiring. Mm -hmm. And um, my intention of my work is to really inform people about issues that we face here in the Pacific Northwest, specifically Mm -hmm. this book, salmon restoration, dam deconstruction, um, natural history, Native American history. So it's a a lot as well as my own personal history. And um, yeah, and I'm very passionate about Uh, my work as a writer and I hope that readers are drawn to that and can experience that as I read my work.
0: I love it. And that's a perfect segue. You could have answered the question better to lead me into the next stage of question I was going to ask you. So, so of course I did some reading on your website. So my listeners know they can go to show notes and find your website and find out about you while we're talking. Um, but you have for my mind, an absolutely wonderful background. Of course it's in, in education, no higher ed. So you and I are kindred spirits there. Mm -hmm. And, but I love, um, what you you have a whole section there about what you're willing to go talk you know do speaking engagements Mm -hmm. about and um that's probably one reason why i was drawn to you from your book you know kind of looking at the book and reading it a little bit and saying you know there's there's something special about lisa and also i really feel like some of us native northwest people we really have the same love for nature and healing and um just the miraculous aspect of because where we live you know so So share with our listeners because they're going. What is Vicky talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so share with us what your background is as far as your day job. I would say I don't know if you're still day job, but you know, right. any of your background.
1: Right. I um, gosh, where to start? So <laughs> I've always loved being in the natural world. You know, as a child, I loved hiking. You know, as a teenager, I spent time on my horses in the mountains. And then as I got older and got into college, I was studying psychology and mm-hmm. really interested in kind of how humans relate to each other in sociology. And then when I went to graduate school, I wanted to bring all of that together somehow. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to bring together my interest in psychology and human interactions and my love for the natural world. Mm-hmm. So I found a program, a master's degree program, and I was putting it all together and i didn't want to be a clinician but I really wanted to work with people yeah yeah (laughs) exactly I was one day at a bookstore of all places and I found this book called the voice of the earth and I thought oh someone's heard the voice of the earth (laughs) 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 and then I read um, a description of it and I thought oh my gosh this is exactly what I wanted to do. Mm. And it was the first time I saw the word eco-psychology in print. And it was mm-hmm. a book by Theodore Roszak, who's actually a historian. And it was the first book that talked about um, what is now a field of psychology called eco-psychology. And what the field does is it helps us understand human behavior you know, we talk about the context of, oh, we have the self and the family and the community. Mm-hmm. Well, this expands that whole um, methodology into include the natural world, because mm-hmm. we are more of nature. Mm-hmm. And so all the models, all of the practices, all are based in this whole idea of, um, you know, our kind of coexistence with the natural world or our embeddedness, rather, in the natural world. So I went on to finish my master's degree. And um, actually, was part of the first ever gathering of eco psychologists in um, Esalen, California. <laughs> so, um, and that was very exciting because Theodore Roszak was there. Um, there were people from Greenpeace, psychologists from Harvard. And it was just this very rich gathering of people, and we were thinking through and planning, and you know, having conversations about what this meant. And at the time, we really felt it was going to be. A revolution in modern psychology. So we were very excited about that. Um, and as it turns out, you know, there are programs around the country now. I did develop mm-hmm. and run a 2 years master's program here at Antioch University, Seattle. That's mm-hmm. it's been closed down, unfortunately. Oh. Yeah, you know, just budget cuts and yep. university yep. politics and things like that. But
0: I know those well.
1: <laughs> it was great. I mean, my students loved it, and I learned so much from them about mm-hmm. how important those experiences can be. Like, I had a student once who suffered, apparently, I wasn't, she wasn't diag- diagnosed, but she was with depression, and she was very sullen. And I'd take my students out to the Salmon Stream every fall, and she spent time sitting on a the log kind of crossing the stream and the salmon were swimming underneath her. Mm-hmm. And the next time we met for class, she was a completely transformed person. She mm-hmm. said, watching those salmon taught me
0: to be brave. Oh, that just gives me chills. I love it. That's so cool. I know. I
1: was so, <laughs> so like, wow. And so that's the power of this work and how that translates to my work as a writer now which is kind of what I've transitioned into mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really is about how to tell those stories how to inspire those goosebump like experiences through image through you know memories through personal memories through you know a good story mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. How I kind of landed in my current work as a writer so wow, <laughs> yeah.
0: absolutely awesome well I didn't know about that form of uh that discipline until i was looking at your materials you know and looking at you and i'm like she really needs to explain this because i do feel like i'm drawn to all of it but i have no idea what it is right you know i'm just very much drawn to nature and you'll find um me almost all my writing is around water and around the ocean. And I tell my husband all the time, I, I must've been a mermaid in my past life. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> yes. The no. ocean. Yeah. yes. And, and, um, and, but I do know moments of growing up and in my life where we being in nature, just alone, just was the most healing thing for me. And then the second or comparable healing aspects was writing. I love to write. And so nature does find itself in much of my work too. So that's fantastic. So I love your background. Thank you. So thank you for introducing it to all of us and the listeners. And um, so segue a little bit into, um, first, when did you realize that you were an actual writer? Were you young? Did you write? journals or did it kind of, did you stumble upon it in your master's program? How did that come about for you?
1: Um, I would say when I was young, I loved to write. I got some recognition in high school for my writing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I never thought of becoming a writer. I just loved to write. Mm -hmm. So when we moved to uh, the Pacific Northwest, well, actually moved from California up here, I took a class in writing poetry mm-hmm. and a local poet here, her name was Jody Eliasson and she was amazing. And mm-hmm. so I, she taught at the ex- extension college at university of Washington. And the way she taught us was we would meet somewhere in town, not in a classroom. And we would go to, um, some other place like a bus station or a hospital And it would be a complete surprise, and we would sit and write. For example, I found myself sitting in the University of Washington Hospital burn unit one time. Oh, my goodness. And I'm just sitting there writing my heart out because Mm -hmm. I'm in this space with these people. And it was a great way to learn to write. And I think Mm -hmm. that has informed my writing to this day you know, listening, being surprised. Um, so, and I never really, I didn't, I published a few poems. I did a few poetry readings, but I never moved into the idea of being a published writer until I uh, decided to write this novel mm-hmm. and knew that I had a story to tell. Mm-hmm. And part of my, I think it's on my website, that the um, inspiration of for this book came through my PhD program
0: Mm
1: and my PhD in eco-psychology. And I had done all this research about the river and I could have written a nonfiction book about it, but I thought, wow, what if I could tell a really good story? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And rather than using the blame and shame tactics of modern environmentalism, I could say, you know, I'm going to, go and tell a beautiful story with a dog and a romance.
0: (laughs) And and captivate everybody and 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 give such a great message, right, at the same time. So, oh, wonderful. So let's talk a little bit about the book, too, because I did read on your website. it, It was generated before your PhD from a situation in your life and um, how that inspired, you know, the progression towards writing the the book. So share with the, the listeners a little bit about that.
1: Okay. The um, Well, when I was 14 years old, my 11-year-old sister drowned in the river behind our house. Mm-hmm. Obviously a very powerful, formative, horrific loss for our family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the story of the river... Is about that. It's about that loss. It's about recovering from that loss. Mm -hmm. It's about recovering my relationship with the river. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Being in that wild place and respecting it and still loving it in a way. You know, I was pretty young, so, you know, there was a lot of formative things going on for me as well. And so, how that played out in my life, how it played out in the you know me landing in eco psychology, exactly. <laughs> it really, you know, it's, it's 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 pretty clear in some in some ways. I did go to a writing conference here in Leavenworth at Sleeping oh, Lane yeah. and um, happened to be in a workshop with the writer Barbara Kingsolver. I've heard of her? <laughs>
0: and so, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: because she doesn't teach very much and, uh-huh. Her class was on how to talk about social environmental change through fiction.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So I was in with 12 other people with her and she said, does anybody have a story they would like to workshop? And I put my hand and I'm like, oh, and she she called on me and I was like, okay, you know, let's do this. And I told her my story. And mm-hmm. I told her about the research I had done. And she and I workshopped my story together.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And it
1: was just, I mean, I still get goosebumps. Yeah, absolutely. That but yeah. it was so clear to me, you know, Vicky, it was like that moment when something is handed to you, mm-hmm. it's like, Here, this is yours. This is yours to make. Mm-hmm. So that was in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. 2019 with my book in hand, so yeah. it was a very long journey for that story. And um,
0: but it is a journey. I mean, especially what I love about your story and this novel is that you took something and you are you share healing in a in a space where a lot of people don't heal from things like that or they're afraid, you know, they may be afraid of, of the tragedy happening again. And so maybe they never would go near a spot by water or, you know what I mean? They, they couldn't embrace it. And so I love, I love the fact that that's the, was the catalyst for you mm-hmm. to, to, um, go on this journey. And I'm so grateful that you wrote the book. Now I haven't read the book yet. I'm dying to read it. Um, so I'll admit I haven't read it yet, but I am very much looking forward to going on that journey in the story with you. Yeah, Plus the message. I love, love, love the message. I, um, I'm a huge environmentalist fanatic. I just, yeah. I, and I, it's so timely. So if that book would have came out, you know, when you started it, it might not have been the right timing, but we can definitely say now it's timely. We need oh, it.
1: Oh, absolutely. Now yeah, with all the issues facing mm-hmm. like wild orcas up here and,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, mm-hmm. the different issues around dam removal, the success yes. come around from removing the um, dams on the Elwha River. Today yep. I was reading about removing a dam on the Nooksack River.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: More miles of spawning habitats. So it's, it's a story in our, culture right now mm-hmm. you know our environmental culture and our northwest culture so it's yeah, a very it more is book and someone commented it sure rains a lot in your book and I'm like it (laughs)
0: rains a lot here (laughs) and if you thought the northwest didn't rain read the book because it's true (laughs) yeah yeah. there comes a time in native northwest individuals where you either decide you're going to leave you can't stand the rain or you embrace it and you feel you you know how wonderful it is because of all the life it provides oh yeah you know and and of course we don't like all the flooding and everything else but you know it's life generating and so you embrace it so and trust me there are people that would listen to this knowing me would be I don't know where that transition happened with Vicki, but somewhere <laughs> embraced the Northwest, rain.
1: Exactly, right. I know. Yeah. Tell us that in the middle of winter when it's dark at three yes. in the afternoon. Yes. <laughs> but
0: we just about, hit daylight saving. <laughs> yeah. So for us in the Northwest, when daylight saving hit, hits, uh, we are all super happy. We're coming out of that dark exactly. season.
1: Exactly. <laughs> no, we've made it through the finish yeah. line.
0: Uh, I'm looking at my yard going, garden is going in this weekend. <laughs> <That's> right. <I laughs> Too know. early, but I will do it. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let's talk about because um, I my listeners like to hear a little bit about the publishing aspect of the journey because this this podcast Genesis, Genesis came out of my asking lots of questions of authors mm-hmm. as I was starting to formulate my idea of starting my own book and writing my own work. And so it came with I don't know anything about the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. So I started asking and then podcast form. Um so share with us you are traditionally published if I'm correct on that. So tell us kind of how that started for you. Did you have connections? Did you go hunting for an agent? How did it work?
1: You know, it's um actually it is traditional in the sense that the distribution of the book is traditional but she mm-hmm. writes press is a hybrid publisher.
0: Oh, gotcha. So
1: I participated in financially in creating the book.
0: Oh, it, oh um, I like that idea. <laughs>
1: it, and it's been amazing. I have to mm-hmm. say, I mean, she writes, it's all women's authors, um, mm-hmm. very supportive community. Brooke, uh, who runs the publishing house, is stunning. I mean, she's mm-hmm. been doing this for a really long time and she's fierce and she's- Ooh, I like you know, that. Very passionate <laughs> about what she does. And no. she's, a you know, she's very much like, the leader of the pack, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we have lots of lovely support in our, you know, Facebook pages Mm -hmm. and with each other and getting to meet other authors and going to each other's readings. And so it's a community. It's, um, and the quality of their work, as you can see with my book, is beautiful. It's
0: beautiful. And your website is actually beautiful. So I oh, comment yeah. on websites. Yeah, that it. is a
1: really mm-hmm. beautiful website. Yeah. So I've been yeah. so happy with that part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
0: it's absolutely beautiful.
1: It's really great. And how I came to them, um, you know, I like I said, I started this book in the early 2000s mm-hmm. and uh, got my PhD. Mm-hmm. That and then went on to teach for fifteen years. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> and you
1: know, raising children and all kinds yeah. of things. And, yeah. You know, so then when things changed for me at Antioch, where I was teaching, I thought, well, what am I going to do now? And so I thought, well, oh, what about my book? So I picked it up and read through it. I hadn't looked at it in a while, and I thought, this is actually pretty good. No, <laughs> you know, it's editing, but it's pretty. It's in pretty good shape. So I yeah. went to. The, a local workshop on how to find an agent Mm -hmm. and um, met these women from girl Friday productions Mm -hmm. told them about my manuscript and they're like oh send it over and they were like this is really good (laughs) Thank you You know could use some more editing so we're going to recommend an editor for you and I'm like okay and so they said we think it's a really good fit so they connected me with Gail Hudson Mm -hmm. who has a coaching writing coaching kind of practice as well as a um, does editing work for this organization and we hit it off like great I mean it was like she really understood what I was trying to work on I love it. and at the end of one of our calls she said so do you know who I am and I'm like um no <laughs> so we hung up and I of course googled her right away and then you're like oh like, and as it turns out she was the co-author with Jane Goodall on her last three books.
0: Oh, my heavens. You know, yeah. but I think that's better not to know.
1: I know, right? Yeah, I,
0: I would have been intimidated. Along, and then
1: but like, like, oh, yeah. then I was. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I,
0: like, I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah.
1: But then I was, you know, I just was so grateful. You know, she mm-hmm. was so good with me and with mm-hmm. my work. And I felt like she helped me build, you know, I guess, a foundation of confidence. Mm -hmm. I think as writers, we tend to do this all by ourselves. Mm -hmm. And until Mm -hmm. we get outside readers coming in or editors coming in, it's like we kind of, you know, we don't have that solid foundation of like, this is, I can do this.
0: Mm -hmm. Self doubt is definitely rides in. And Mm
1: -hmm. so, you know, especially crafting a story like this, that's got magical surrealism and there's a Mm -hmm. lot going on and it's really, you know, some, sad stuff, some happy stuff, some you know, really powerful things happen. And so she helped me create, you know, a good story. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot from her and then later went on to do um, coaching with her. Oh how awesome. And, you know, so she introduced me to She Writes Press. She said mm-hmm. I have had other authors publish with them. Why don't you get in touch with them? So then I landed in She Writes and worked with another editor for a bit and they helped me through the whole publishing process and Crafted a book that is I'm very proud of, and so yeah. So I think the terms of publishing, would I like to you know get Norton or some fancy big house? I don't think so. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean
1: the impact that I want to have with this book, I'm having. You know, it's distributed Mm -hmm. through Ingram Publishing Services. It's returnable, so bookstores can order it and they can get it. It's on Amazon, of course, and they Mm -hmm. take all of that for me and. Yeah, and then I, you know, have a publicist, which helped get it out there yeah, in a bigger yeah, way. And yeah. that's important, too. And I want to say that to people listening. You know, it's one thing to write a book, another mm-hmm. thing to publish a book. But the most important thing is getting the word out about your
0: mm-hmm, book. Mm-hmm, absolutely.
1: And how important that is, and have a good partnership with your publicity people.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, mm-hmm. And Book Sparks was great. You know, I loved everything they did. The website was beautiful, but I learned a lot going mm-hmm. this process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> writing wow. is like a tenth of getting up exactly
0: book i i call it the writing uh the business of writing um the whole shebang you know writing the story is absolutely great it's creative we enjoy it then we have to go into the editing process and you could stay forever and never get that book out if you edit on your own you have to exactly. start bringing people into your life at that point right and right. and and then the business of writing in the sense of all the other mechanisms I've learned so much since I started the podcast about all the different ways of doing it I love the hybrid way that you're talking about I I tend to lean a little more towards something where I have some control but also I have the guidance of others I love mentors right yeah that's why this is a good
1: format because there's you know they send you cover choices and Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know they do design work and You just, you know, you have a part to play in all of it.
0: And And then you get a community of other authors and you're all invested in helping each other and, and, having that family which i think is right. fantastic
1: yeah, yeah i actually did a couple of readings with three other authors mm-hmm. from key Writes, and we called ourselves courageous pursuits and our process of writing and oh that's so great here in seattle and portland and
0: oh and, and i missed it, it. darn it <laughs> Yeah, no, it was really
1: fun to be yeah. with them and, and just to have dinner
0: beforehand yeah exactly after
1: and just talking and sharing stories and yeah mm-hmm. you know that that is that's very valuable in it is of, you know self-confidence and mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. recognizing yourself and others and you know even though their work is very different and yeah so I like that a lot about she writes
0: I honestly didn't feel like I could do this whole idea of an author life or being an author until I honestly started the podcast and I started to it just no authors in my area started to interview them and it, then it expanded out obviously all over and all of the Northwest. I keep it really regional because I'm a small town girl. So I like to stay close to home. And, um, and then over the year I have realized, cause it's only been a year that I started a podcast that I realized I can do this. And I know it comes from the confidence of people talking to me and sharing me their stories. And now, you know, they're hearing my reading too, my writing, cause I'm working with some of them on my edits and my, my book. And I'm like, it changes you when right. you have other, writers and authors come alongside you and give you really great constructive supportive feedback exactly. you yeah it just changes everything so it's wonderful
1: yeah and I think podcasts are a great way to build community with writers mm-hmm. it is hear each other's stories and mm-hmm. you know share it with friends and families and mm-hmm. readers of our work you know it's like what's behind this story yeah <laughs> so
0: yeah, yeah.
1: really what you're so
0: always have wondered with every book I've read if I can't get enough information about that story or that book I want to know the the story behind the story you know mm-hmm. what inspired the people how did they get there you know that kind of thing. so for me doing the podcast is just really coming out of all my own mm-hmm. questions that I have every time I see a book <laughs> I'm like right. hmm, I wonder how she got there hmm, let's find <laughs> out you know so yeah. so yeah, yeah. Well, well, great. Well, let's do this. Let's get us into the story. Cause I, my listeners just love to listen to me ramble. Not really. They really want to hear you ramble (laughs) and they want to hear you read. So, um, why don't you set us up for the story? Give us a little bit of backstory, whatever information you want to set the stage. And I'm going to go quiet. My listeners know I go quiet. So we try to avoid the dog barking, which I think you guys heard the dogs on the podcast. A little bit. Today, yeah, my were
1: barking upstairs. I just, yeah, okay. it happens. I
0: just, I don't even apologize anymore. <laughs> and, and so when you're done, Lisa, after you've done reading, I'll take us out of the podcast. Okay, great.
1: So my novel is called The Same River. It takes place on the fictitious Naseka River in central Oregon. Uh, The story takes place in two different times. Uh, There's contemporary time and the main character's name is Jess. She's a biologist who's working for the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife. And she is working to have a dam removed on the Naseka River that has been is up for relicensing and all of this is based on research that I did on an actual dam on the North Umpqua River in Oregon and there's a parallel narrative that takes place 200 years before her time from the point of view of a Native American woman named Pia and her people are living on the Naseka so hence the same river and it's the time right before the first wave of smallpox um, hits the tribe, and again, based on the research I did, um, two waves of smallpox actually decimated the Native American people in the Western Pacific Northwest prior to any contact with white Euro-American settlers. So the first part I'm gonna read is from Pia's point of view, just to give you a sense of what it was like. I really immersed myself in kind of the sounds that she would hear, the smells that she would smell, um, what kind of the environment was like for people living at that time. So this is from Pia's point of view. It was just beginning to get dark when Pia got back to camp. Lifting the damp, heavy elk skin that covered the door, Pia breathed in the scent of her home and knelt down on the musky deer fur next to her sleeping daughter. Pia cradled Leva and began to nurse her, feeling the warmth of her mother's knowing smile in the shifting light. Pia nuzzled Leva's hair, smelling the sweet, musky scent of her family, cedar smoke and rain. As Pia's mother began to stack the wood in the small fire pit in the center of their home, Pia was grateful for the certain warmth and light that the flames offered. She began to sing her fire song to Leva, and her mother joined in. It was a song of gratitude to the spirit of fire. Pia closed her eyes, remembering how her tribe had used big fires to burn the land and clear the way for gathering seeds from the sticky tar plants in the valley down the river from their home. As she'd grown older, she'd worked with the women enthusiastically swinging her willow branches in time with her companions, chanting songs of gratitude for the plants and seeds that gave them life. Last season, she had been pregnant and worked alongside her mother and grandmother. They had woven into their chanting lessons for Pia how to be a mother, how to birth her baby and care for her body afterward. Pia's husband Micah came in through the skin door and smiled when she saw, when he saw Leba and Pia. She handed Leba to him and moved next to her mother to help her tend the fire and begin to prepare the evening meal. It started to rain. Pia heard others moving into their homes and heard the nasika filling with a steady fall rain that would call up the salmon from their ocean homes into the river's arms to nourish her family with their bodies. She wanted to tell her mother about her vision, about the necklace and the comfort of the promise from her spirit sister, and that she was concerned about what Tennis had said, you don't know what is coming. She knew that her vision had not just been a protection blessing, but something more. Her father came in and sat next to her. Pia had the necklace in her lap and decided she should share her vision with her family and trust her father to help discern its meaning. She held it out in her hands and saw the light of the fire reflected in the small, clear stones. I went to see Tennis today. She came to me in a vision up near the falls. Tennis wants this necklace for Leva to keep her safe. She said something was coming. I felt like she was warning me, but I don't know what about Pia's father carefully picked up the necklace from Pia's palms. It looked tiny in his large hands. And he gazed at it tenderly for a long time before asking, this is from tennis? His voice cracked with sadness, and Pia's mother moved closer to him. It is a spirit necklace that's not from our kind of time. What did she say to you? She said that Leba will be the one who will know the songs and chants, who will become the one that we can follow who will know what to do, but she didn't say what was coming. Her father shifted his weight and leaned against the fur-lined walls of their home. His dark eyes reflected the firelight and seemed to Pia to deepen with a blend of sadness and fear. The rain grew lighter and Pia heard the rustling of night animals in the forest around them. The call of a male wolf rolled down the canyon near the river and was answered by his pack in the distance. This is an important message and one we must attend to. In my own visions, there have been warnings as well. I can feel a tremble in the earth, a calling out, a storm from an unknown horizon. It would have been a great effort for Tennis to come to you with this offering. It is a rare gift and one not to take lightly. It is for your baby, Liba, and a powerful blessing." He began a slow chant that seemed to come from a time long before. Pia stood and carried Liba to his side, she held her while her father carefully placed the necklace over Leba's small head. He kissed her forehead and Liba reached out to him in response. Pia smelled the river and her daughter's sweet milk washed skin. Her father's chant held them like a protective certain hand in their home, around their small fire in the center of a dark, uncertain place. So that's from Pia's point of view. And now I'm going to give you a little bit of um, Jess. So Jess is in her 30s. She's gone up to the river. She wants to do a kind of ceremony um, to mark a transition in her life. The next morning, a blue jay woke her up just as it was getting light. She slipped out of her sleeping bag and zipped open her tent door. the Nasika looked sweet to her in the early morning. The gentle mist rested on its surface and the song from the day before seemed to glow within it. Jess pulled on strong leather boots over rough wool socks. She wished she had some sacred special vessel to carry the water in, but she only had water bottles she'd brought for drinking. She felt a little clumsy when she went down to gather the water for her walk. She sat down for a while in the bank and tried to summon a prayer, a song, something that would be like a blessing. She thought of the old clumsy prayers from her Catholic childhood and smiled. She wanted to find another way to pray to open herself to the spirits of the land and the river. She stood up and walked to the edge of the water and watched the stream and the light in the water run over and around the stones of the riverbed. She thought of her sister, of how losing her to the river had created a kind of kinship, as if Jess and it were related somehow. That's why she was here, why she had been called to do this work. She reached her hand into the water and held it there waiting, The water seemed to pull away the anger, the tension, and the fury that she had been feeling. It was just the two of them, and she let go. Okay, River, tell me what to do. She filled her red water bottle and stood up. She held the bottle next to her heart and let out a strong breath. She packed up her camp, carrying the water with her like a young child. As she walked, she recited to herself the names of the plants and animals along the trail. Mountain Laurel, Salmonberry, Devil's Club, Salal, Morning Dove, Chickadee, Dark-Eyed junco, Crow, Trillium, Skunk, Elderberry, Raven, Trout. The walk took two days and each step made Jess feel lighter, more determined, and part of something very important. She looked for signs from the native people who had lived in this river valley hundreds of years before the Malala people, the wild ones. They were shy and not much was known about them. By the time traders encountered them, two waves of smallpox had decimated most of them. The only people left were herded out of the valley to the Cow Creek Reservation more than a hundred miles away. Sharp sadness seized Jess's chest. Their home, where they had lived for thousands of years was gone to them forever, like her sister. The Green Springs Dam looked to her like a granite fist holding back the wild flow of the Nasika. She was careful to stay out of sight of any power corps workers who might be nearby that, that day. She found a clearing just below the dam she was sure was hidden from the highway or anyone other than fishermen and hikers. She set up her camp and gathered her evening wood. An osprey whistled overhead and dove into the clear blue-green water just below her camp. She could see the large flumes running along the ridge tops and dropping down the hillsides into the power station. The river was fed into almost 40 miles of flumes and through four power stations before it reached the Green Springs Dam. It looked like a formidable opponent. Jess stood up and carried the water bottle down to the riverbank. The only thing she could think to do was to make a promise. She held the water to her heart and closed her eyes. "Hey, Je- hey River, it's me, Jess." I'm bringing you yourself, a taste of yourself from above the dams that we have laid across your back. I'm so sorry. I will work for you, try to give you back what is yours. In the spirit of water walkers, I bless you
0: with this gift oh Lisa it's absolutely beautiful and thank you Vicki the imagery is fantastic I'm dying to read the rest of the book I'm sure (laughs) my listeners will be too (laughs) so thank you so much for sharing this so listeners um go on my show notes find Lisa find her website get to know her a little bit buy her book let her know you heard her on the podcast because it's always fun to know where you find people at and um Lisa I was so glad to have you here thank you
1: Vicki it was great talking to you
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.